Opening up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united. We must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pores to back our log of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. And welcome to Creatures of the Industry. This is a special episode, unfortunately, to celebrate the life of Peter Welsh, aka The Bone, who has recently passed away at 90 years of age. Peter was our guest on Series 2, Episode 1, along with Mick Cody and Daryl McGaw, and recorded in May 22. Peter and the boys talked about the scaffolding game and their times together at Skyline and uh, the industry generally since the 1970s. Peter was indeed a creature of the industry, first as a labourer, then as a uh, scaffold uh, subby to Big Ben, and later as a general scaff company to the industry at large. His company was Skyline, and uh, it is a very long and well-established name in the industry for many, many people. Peter did not want a uh, fuss when he passed, and so there was no funeral uh, or memorial service or wake. But for once in his life, he didn't get what he wanted. Certainly didn't get everything he wanted because Peter's many friends uh, in this industry decided to give him a send-off and with his family uh, took this uh, event at uh, the Grandview Hotel in Fairfield recently. As uh, we had a drink and remembered Peter and told a a few uh, stories about him and I, I took the opportunity to record some interviews with people who had known him well. Our first interview is with Brett Fisher, a.k.a. Mullet, who helped get the event organised and emceed the proceedings. Hi, I'm uh, Brett Fisher, Mullet, um, Central Scaffold, and I'm one of the byproducts of Peter Welsh at Skyline. I started working with Peter um, about mid-1980s, I reckon, about 85. I was only about 21 or 22 years old and worked for him for about 13 years. And in that time, I got to know Peter's generosity and his loyalty to his men, and which, to his detriment, sometimes 
he um, he paid the price for being so loyal. So um, over that time, you know, he promoted me to take on opportunities at other companies, but he also helped me generate and form my own company, which you know I'm ever so grateful for, and, and still to this day. So he was a guy that. Um, I could look on, I could call on, and he'd be there for me, especially in the infancy of, of starting my business. And from that, he helped guide me into a situation or a position whereby I had the, the chance to be able to take on my own men. And a lot of the, a lot of the um, rules that I run with in my business, I formulated and learned from Peter over the journey of time in terms of loyalty, respect for my men and I spoke about it earlier today about how I learnt from him that it wasn't always about winning the job, it was about keeping your men calm, showing loyalty to them and getting the job done meant that the money looks after itself. Look after your men. Your men are the best advertisement you'll ever get. And that was one of the greatest lessons I ever learnt from Peter Welsh. Brother, some of the jobs you've done with the bone over the years? So we did Melbourne Central, and I know, or could quite well be, that a lot of the guys um, have mentioned that. But, you know, Peter, at the height of his powers, probably had 60 or 70 men at that time. So managing 60 or 70 men in, in back in those days was a massive feat. So, But he did it really, really well. He made the effort to have a rapport with everybody that worked for him, good, bad or ugly. But once again, it didn't matter. He was so involved with the life livelihoods of his men that he would look after them and he cared about them. And so, inadvertently, the boys would give that back to him. So they, in essence, managed themselves. So there was their um, multiplex up on Nicholson Street, which was an infamous job for having um, industrial action. But Peter just, through his own ways and means, prospered from it because he managed both sides of the ledger really, really well in terms of the industrial component plus the men. And he had that unique act to be able to do that. So, you know, kudos to the man. Love the guy. And some of the long-termers were looked after to the very, very end when Peter was probably about 85. He was still looking after the bull. Yeah, the beast. We, you know, whilst we we had a working relationship with him. Inadvertently, that flowed into a, a friendship and a loyalty, I won't use the word program, but he was fantastic with caring and sharing. You know, he was the most generous man in the, in the industry and he didn't care. It wasn't about, you know, a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks to help someone get out of a hole. It was the fact that it, he, they had a friendship with him and the bull, you know, found himself in a lot of situations. But you know what? He was loyal to the end, to the man. He was loyal to the end, to all of his men. 
and hence why so many people have turned up today to commemorate the life of him. Thank you very much. Uh, my name's Ian Bolton and I'm just here for a, a kind of celebration of the Bone's life. And the Bone was a man that uh, employed a hell of a lot of scaffolders around the city and he got a lot of people jobs and he was a good man and we worked for him, we worked for him hard. He made a lot of money, which was good, but he made a hold on the horses. <laughs> but he was a gentleman. He got people jobs that he should never have got jobs and he got a lot of people jobs that should have been given jobs. But he was a very, very good man. And I remember one time when I went to see him and I says, I've got two blokes coming over from New Zealand. I said, after a job. And he says, what are they like? I says, gun scaffolders. He says, bullshit. Why don't you tell me they're just a bunch of bums and you still put them on and I can sack them the next day if they're not good. I says, no, Barn, they're good. And anyway, these two blokes turned up. And they're working away, and the bone hadn't even seen them. And one of them come around the corner, Maori Tom. And he had two of these big machines in his hand. It took two of us to carry one, and he was carrying two of them, and he was dancing around the corner. And you've seen bone's eyes change to little dollar signs. <laughs> and he says, all right, he started. <laughs> now, Ian, how long did you uh, stay with the bone? Oh, a few years on and off here and there, you know, yeah. It's quite a while, actually, yeah. yeah. And when did you start with the bone? Ah, oh, you're going back a long time now. <laughs> yeah. In Big Ben days, or...? Yeah, Big bef- Ben was still around, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have been those days. Cyclone was still going, they were all going, yeah. So how long did you end up staying with the bone? Oh, I'd done a few years here and there with them, yeah, yeah. And then you went on to bigger and better things with the DLI. <laughs> Well, it was very interesting what I was doing then because I was going around looking at the jobs and condemning them and things like that. But the very worst part was you went to all the fatalities and I've seen a hell of a lot of fatalities of people that never should have been killed. And uh, it was good to put those people in jail, which we did, uh, done those jobs. And, and we, we did, we'd done two manslaughter cases for industrial deaths and there were first two in Australia. And can I ask you a very personal question? Did you ever shut down one of the Bones jobs? <laughs> no. Because they were all good scaffolders. Yeah, at that time, yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks, Ian. G'day, Jimmy Muldoon. I worked for the Bone for about 30 years. Uh, started with him when I was 22. I'm 70 now. I'm working, I've just retired. I had my own company, the last in 2002. I met Peter, uh, he put me on and told me he'd probably only give me a job for two weeks because the union wouldn't allow me to uh, take somebody else's place. But that turned out it was okay. Peter always hired and fired who he wanted. He didn't go with the last on list, last off rule, last on first off, sorry. Um, yeah, had some great days with him, but he always told me I was very happy and he looked well looked after. And uh, Peter always said to me that. I'd never make any money working for a boss and one day I've got to go and work on my own. Uh, had a lot of blokes working for us over the years and Peter's outlived a lot of them, but he was straight. He was straight down to straight down the line. Johnny Cummins would ring him whenever there was a new EBA to be signed and we'd just go in and sign the EBA because Peter always thought we've never won a battle yet. 
and it's hard back paying them blokes so you might as well sign it now and just get on with your work so he's always been very good to me he was good to me and my family a great man I'm glad we're here today to see him off and in a good way uh, and I'll tell you the story with no mayo on it I was at the races in 1991 he paid me $140 to go to the races with him because that, that was the going rate for cash on a Saturday he had $60,000 three $20,000 bets on Shaftesbury Avenue at 5 to 4 it was the first horse beaten at the turn. He lost 60 grand. Uh, I still had $140 to collect from a race in Adelaide. He said, fuck the Adelaide race. I'll give you the 440 And we went home. And on the way home, he stopped and bought the Tatsolo ticket. But that day, he'd done 60 grand. But, yeah, he was a great man, big punter, but a great bloke and a great bloke to work for and set up so many other companies now. All of us owe Peter a lot. Thank you. Okay, my name's Ron Heath, and um, I first met the Bone around 1985, and it was down at Cyclone Scaffolding's Yard in Port Melbourne. Um, I always remember the Bone, he used to always come in at about quarter to seven before Barry Mutimer got there, so as he could pick up gear that Barry said he couldn't have. He always come in and tell us, like, come on, mate, oh, you know, we've got blokes standing around, and they need the gear. So we obviously we'd give him the gear, and then Mutimer would come in and give us a pay. The other thing I remember about the Bone... He couldn't reverse. So if you were on a job anywhere and the bone turned up, he'd come up and say, oh, Ronnie, can you do me a favour, mate? You reckon you can back the little band out for me, this little pizza van? Yeah, so that was the bone. That's about all I can really remember about the bone. But uh, top bloke, unfortunately, he's gone now. But, um, yeah, you always very remembered. No worries. See you later. G'day, everybody. My name's Randall. I work for the bone. They call me Bars. The bone introduced me to that nickname. And, uh... I've got to say, that, that man was just an incredible... He was a hard man, but fair, fair. And it was that fair, and used to say to us, when things were crook, he'd never sack, the, never sack anybody. He'd keep us on and share the load around. Now, we all worked for him. He had the same crew going. I met him in 85 or 84, and he had the same blokes going all them years. The same blokes. Never upset the apple cart. Things got crook, you have a day off. I'm not putting you off, you have a day off. Have it in turns. And always looked after us. We ever needed to quit? All right, I'll give you the money. Don't gamble. And you used to say, don't gamble. I'll tell your fucking wives. And what did he do? He gambled all his fucking money. Love you and leave you. Thank you very much. G'day, I'm Steve Allen's my name. Uh, I've known the bone for over 40 years. First met him down in Big Ben Scaffolds, down in Footscray. He was our labour company. Um, he was a, probably one of the nicest blokes and one of the most gentle blokes. And... Uh, and very uh, generous, and actually, you know, we got on pretty well over all the years. You'd always uh, catch up with him. He used to come to our work breakups. Now, when I've been with um, Scaffman, he always come every year to our work breakups. Peter, he was always a bit of a character. I remember one time with his um, gambling habits, he uh, I used to get the armoured truck would roll up in Big Ben. He had a double shed out in the um, car park. So him and Di would make up all the wages, put him in little envelopes, and Peter would head off on his little bag, full of, in those days, probably $20,000, which was a lot of money in those days. Very scary thing to do nowadays. And he came back about 10 minutes later, and he said, shit, I've just been robbed. Someone just put a, a what's name, pistol in my face. And we went, oh, shit, that's no good. So he called the police. The police come down, did an interview. No one was ever caught. We found out a few weeks later he had a big loss with the bookies the week before, so... In hindsight, he actually robbed himself, as far as we know. 
which, which actually became a bit of a joke. But that was Peter. And um, another time he won Touch Lotto. He walked in with a winning ticket into our office. In those days, at Systems 15, no one could afford a Systems 15 except the bone. I think they were $1,250 in those days. That was the biggest thing you could buy. See, he um, took the risk and he won. And, and um, what's some good on him too, because he won a lot of money and he probably wasted half of it, but it doesn't matter what he did with it anyway. That's his business. But overall, he was a general of the scaffold industry. Everybody knew him. He taught everybody. And he was probably the godfather of the scaffold industry, I would say. And I'll, I'll never forget him. Me and my brother, who's passed away now, we worked with him for all those years and uh, knew him for all those years, on and off, with different companies. And what a great bloke he was. So RMP, Peter. Hi, my name's Alan Colson. I worked for the Bone in 1970 right through till 1980. He was one of the best bosses I've ever worked for, although he did sack me half a dozen times. It's very great, good to be at this uh, function today, remembering the bone, because he was a really good boss, and I don't know what more I can say, really. Well, you could tell the listeners why he got sacked. Well... I don't really should say why I got sacked, but it had a lot to do with drinking <laughs> on the job. No, but it was it was great, and uh, I can't say anything else bad about him. Although you know, I was the first one to get the sack all the time, but uh, no, he was a great boss. He was a great boss. And... So you joined the Bone when he was the main contractor for Big Ben. So what sort of jobs did you work on in those days? Well, in them days, the jobs was uh, pretty rough and ready. I worked for Big Ben also while the bone was supervisor. Uh, what can I say? I was also the shop steward at that time, which was a bit strange in them days. We had the, the general was in charge, Norm Gallagher, Normie Wallace, two top men in my, my view. Everybody might not have the same view as I have, but I got on really well with Normie Wallace and, and Gallagher. And, uh, yeah, I was a shop steward for a short while, but those were the days, the good old days, where you could do what you like and whatever, you know. And most of it was tube and fit, or was modular well and truly getting entrenched? It was all tube and fitting. All I did was tube and fitting, me and a few others. Quick stage came in, oh, I can't think, 72, 73. We started doing that because the bosses thought it was a big, you know, a lot easier and quicker but it wasn't I can remember doing a job with a bone once and they got timber boards 8 foot timber boards for the 8 foot bay quick stage there was 4 inches thick I could hardly even lift one So how long have you been retired now Al? I've been retired now uh, I'm almost 72 I retired when I was 54 uh, I'm very happy to be able to do that and we have to thank superannuation, all that sort of stuff, which enabled me to retire early. Uh, I, I don't know, there's not much more I can say. The bone gave you a start and kept you going for a while. That plus superannuation made for an early retirement, yeah? Yes, that's correct, Ralph. I was with the bone when we was fighting for superannuation, sick pay. Uh, long service leave, all them sorts of things. 
1984, I think it was. We had a couple of big strikes to get all these conditions. Luckily enough, we won them. And uh, I've never looked back since. But it was the old days. It was the old days that got these conditions for all these young blokes that's in the game now. And they should appreciate what the old blokes did for the industry. And the Bones signed the uh, agreement first. Of course he did, and I was working with him when he signed that agreement. I wasn't the shop steward at the time, but I was there when he signed the agreement. Well done. Thanks, Al. Thank you very much. Hello. Uh, my name is uh, Stephen Kerber, known as the Bomber in the scaffolding business. Um, I worked with Peter for uh, 26 years, um, and uh, besides from work, um, he... Um, Helped me out a lot outside work because um, I am a boxing trainer, which I used to do shows for 20 odd years. Peter was the first one always to buy a table and support me, and always um, supported the gym with uh, sponsorship and never wanted his name or anything on the gowns. It was just um, money to a good cause because I kept the kids off the streets and, um, and everything like that. But um, um, yes, I was a uh, scaffolder, as I said, for Peter. Um, and and he, as I said, looked after the boys. He loved, he loved all of us. He cared for us. And um, and every uh, after I finished with him, we um, as we call ourselves a breakfast group. There's about five or six of us. We used to take him out every RDO, go over and see him, and um, take him out for breakfast. Um, loved that. And um, and I was there the final day, which was tragic to uh, very upsetting to uh, see him as he was in bed and. Um, but at least I saw him before he, he went, and um, and as I said, it's um, it's a great turnout today, and, and a lot of people here um, love, respected him, and and as I said, he, he touched me and my family, um, not just at work, but also outside of work. He, he looked after me so much, and you know I'm very grateful for him, and I'll I'll never ever forget him. And some of the jobs you might have worked on in that time you worked with Peter. Um, the first job I worked with Peter was Melbourne Central. Well, straight in at the top level. Yeah, Melbourne Central. I, I was a British labourer at William, uh, sorry, Sunshine Hospital for a couple of years uh, where he had scaffolders there and that's where I, I sort of got to know Peter and the company I was going with, I was with them for a long time but they moved, merged with another company and I could see there were no harmony and it wasn't the same so... Um, I want to get out of the out of there, and, and um, so Peter had come out every week with uh, the pace of the boys with Jimmy Muldoon. Uh, Peter never liked employing people that were working because he always tried looking after people who weren't working. Uh, but I just told him the situation. But Jimmy Muldoon was always behind Peter to give me a wink that you know I'll get you on, but which I finally got on, and um, it's the best thing, I, everything I ever done in my life, and you know because as I said, he was the best boss I've ever had, and. And the memories and the friendship I've, I've formed over the years with all the people here today is going to be uh, life, you know, it's, it's just forever, ever makes for life and that, you know. But, um, yeah, so I worked at Melbourne Central for three years and then um, uh, a lot of jobs. Peter had a lot of big jobs over there. Um, also, uh, the gas and fuel, um, you know, we worked there. Uh, it's just endless jobs at all that. But uh, at the end, I was... I was looking after jobs because I'm getting a bit older now, and um, and um, yeah, but I, I just love that Blake so much, and um, it's, it's just his, his memory, and I'm just going to miss him so much. 
Thanks very much, brother. Thanks very much. Uh, g'day, my name's uh, Ash Matthews, a.k.a. Smash, as a lot of my ex-workmates will, um, will call me. Um, we're here at Peter's Memorial, I suppose, wake as well. Um, so, just to say a few words about the Chief, who I knew him as and used to call... Um, he probably was the most instrumental man in my my work life actually he was I I can't say that anyone else has been more instrumental I I met Peter when I was laying bricks at his Fairfield home I was a bricklayer and and built his house in Fairfield built a couple of units for him and um, got to know him pretty well he used to turn up after obviously his day with the boys on the scaffold and uh, and said do you want a job Um, and I was running my own business as a bricklayer and thought yeah I've pretty much had enough of this so yeah I'll, I'll have a try so he took me on Peter, as a as a young, geez, I think I was probably about 18, 19, and the rest is pretty much history. I worked for the Bone for for 16 years, 17 years, and um, had a lot of good times with with great people that the Bone employed, and uh, a lot of them are still my mates today, which is unbelievable. And a lot of those mates have now branched out, and um, through Peter's advice, have have are now working for them for themselves, which I am one of. And uh, I'm so grateful for Peter's advice. We used to speak for uh, for a long time. Often, um, he guided me in decisions that I need needed to make, um, and gave me real belief that I could one day run my own business and um, yeah it's uh, it's one of those things that now that Peter's passed that you, you, you reflect on and and you're so grateful for um, a story I can give you is Peter used to put his two fingers out in a fork like life like motion and say um if you'd been at the pub maybe on a Friday night and didn't come back to work, sorry, on a Friday hour and didn't come back to work, um, you declared it, which was the, the call. Nah, boys, we're not going back. He used to put the, the fingers out. There's a fork in the road. You can go one way or the other way. Um, either you can stick with me or you can go to the pub. It's up to you. Um, I said, well, Peter, I'm, I've got to stick with me, mates, and I've got to... You know, maybe be at the pub with him on a Friday afternoon. And he said, "Okay, you can do that, Smash, because you're making me too much money." Um, but anyway, look, Val the Bone, uh, he was a a terrific mentor, a terrific man, and um, he'll be he'll be sadly missed. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you, Smash. Morning, Ralph. <laughs>
Uh, my name's Steve Beaton. We're talking about the great man, uh, Peter Welsh, the bone. Um, I first met Peter in uh, 1984 in a lift on a uh, 15-storey tube and clip job in um, uh, opposite the Cecil Hotel early openers. Uh, the next time we actually talked, I was given a phone call when I'd started a job at Mobile Refinery and he was adamant that I had to be in his yard, this is 20 years later, to do a swing job in Dorcas Street, um, South Melbourne, 2001. But I'd known him since 84. Um, the best story I can relay with the uh, bone is uh, he picked me up on a Robbie Sakala steward's job in um, Elizabeth Street uh, it was a Formula One motel or hotel or something but Bone rang me and said I've got to go with him to Richmond to look at another aspect of the job he picked me up I uh, was in the car, he's asking all the questions and we get to the job and he was not feeling so crash hot by the time we got from Elizabeth Street to Richmond, but uh, I said to him, I said, are you all right? He said, yeah. He said, I've taken a couple of tablets that Licker and Manny from the yard have given me. Anyway, he's had a, a reaction to them. So I took him straight into the first aid. We laid him down and the first aid officer at the job said, I'm going to ring an ambulance. Well, Bone was adamant that there was no ambulances involved. So he said to me, go and see such and such from level four. I'll be all right. So 20 minutes later, I come back and he's sitting up. <laughs> I said to the first aid officer, I said, how is he? He said, oh, he's come good, Steve. He's, he's woke up and he's asked, who, ra- who won race two at Sandia? <laughs> but that, that that's the calibre of the man. He was dying at my feet when I left him and 20 minutes later he was back to his best you know what a legend and how long did you end up working for the bone Steve I I started with bone knowing him from 84 I started with him 20 odd years later in 2001 and I worked right up to I left Melbourne and the industry in 2008 but he was adamant that I could come back and work for two or three days with him and stay in his upstairs loft at the yard and I had a young family and had to move away so that was sort of our end, end not uh, personally but our working stage. And what sort of jobs did you work on when you were with him? Oh well um, I, I worked with some great blokes uh, that was uh, with Bone at the time um, Smash and the Bull, and we did some huge jobs, you know, like uh, there was a 35-storey um, chimney there at the bottom end of um, Melbourne there, opposite Southern Cross Station there. It took us probably five, six months to get 35 storeys in the air, but very proud uh, job that um, some great blokes were involved. And then, unfortunately, I got punted to the next chimney that he did. He pulled down the uh, 
Repat Hospital in Heidelberg uh, chimney. So Smasher and I uh, got that up and pulled that one down. And um, oh, we worked at Dorcas Street um, Vic Gardens with the uh, Beast, the Bull, as everyone knows. And uh, yeah, no, it was uh, a great association. I had a lot of time. Now, just getting back to the Spencer Street uh, power station chimney, is that the one where you uh, did some photoshopping with some stuff so that you looked like you're actually in breach of health and safety uh, requirements in those photos and you ended up getting yourselves into a fair bit of trouble? Well, unfortunately, we were um, working opposite the... uh, Well, it was the DLI at one stage that turned into work cover or work safe, you know. But, um, uh, yeah, we did take a few um, shortcuts that uh, was recognised in the front page of the Age newspaper a few months after the job was completed. No harnesses, no hard hats, just pushing metre by metre concrete blocks 35 storeys down the guts of the uh, chimney. But, um, no... Great job, uh, working with great people, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Righto, thank you. Stevie Beaton. Off you go. Righto, my name's Justin Erickson. Peter Welsh was my uncle. He uh, brought me up with scaffolding. I worked for him for, since I was about 12 years old in his yard. He, he's taught me that much. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I need to owe that man is the he makes me quite emotional to actually imagine what he's done for me in my life and I owe, I owe my whole life to him the way that the man thinks about about uh, any opportunity is completely different to anyone you could ever imagine and his perspective on life is only one that that he, to know him to be grasped and is an amazing man and I, I owe him everything so I love him Did he make a scaffolder of you? He made more of a scaffolder of me he made a scaffolder of a boss of me the way he was with his men was incredible he looked after his men and the, the men were more important to him than everything and, and, and that's the way he was and that's why he's made me be as a scaffold boss and the, the, the men are the most important thing and, and that's, the West, that's the way he was and that's what I got from him so he was incredible Did you get a love of the punt from him? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yes <laughs> <laughs> Only through COVID though but he was I used to, look, I used to pick him up when I was a young kid I used to pick him up from the Fairfield RSL after he had a few punts and take him home for about I don't know two or three years, and um, drive him up, drive him over every night, and he'd have, a, he'd have a good chat about. He was quite pissed at the time, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, 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 I've grown to uh, love the punts. So yeah. Did you also take him out for his favourite cup of tea and a piece of cake? <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't. Ne- never. I only you had to bring him back a sandwich. Oh. Uh, you had to always bring him back a sandwich. A, ch- a chicken chicken schnitzel sandwich or something like that or he'd give you he'd give you twenty dollars and you wouldn't even know what the price of a sandwich was and so and this is the way the bone was and yeah, it was yeah 
appreciate all my time with him for the rest of my life. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, Danny Cohen. I work for Peter Welsh. I started when I was 16 years of age because my father worked for Peter Welsh, my brother and my nephew Paul also worked for Peter Welsh. So Peter Welsh had three generations of Cohens to work for him. During the period, he made me a leading hand. He was a very good boss, probably the best boss I ever worked for over the, the 20 odd years I've done in scaffolding. He was really, really good. He would always help you out. If you ever had needed time off, he would always say, have the time off. During the period, my father died and then Peter said, have off, have off as much time as you like. So I had a week off and there was no drama sass. He looked after me the best he can because he always, his theory was always, if you need time off for your family, family comes first. And I'll tell you, out of being in the scaffolding, he was probably the best boss I've ever had. Now, what sort of jobs did you work on for Peter? Okay, I worked at Flinders Fair, which I ran for him. I worked on a lot of numerous jobs. I worked with a, a lot of good scaffolders that were very smart and knowledgeable. And I had a job one day, which was Flinders Fair, was doing a tube and fitting scaffold. And Peter was there. And I jumped up on the scaffold and I tried to splice a 20-foot tube and I dropped it right in front of Peter. And Peter turned around and says, don't worry about it. He climbed up and he spliced the tube for me. That's how good of a boss he was. Well, would you say that uh, looking back now, he made you a half-decent boss? <laughs> Definitely did. You know, going back through the families, obviously because he knew me dad and me eldest brother, Max, you know, he, he would always... He was a hard man, but he was very fair and he was always, always look after you. He was the best of the best in scaffolding. So when did you go into uh, business for yourself, Danny? I went into business for myself. I was about 29, and I said to Peter, look, Peter, because Peter was getting on in age, and I said, Peter, what's going on with scaffold? Are you going to keep going, or what are you going to do? He says, Danny, I can't answer that question because life's too short, you don't know what's going to happen. So I I choose to go out on my own and start, and he give me all the best wishes to go, and he, he actually helped me in any way he could. So when I started up, he really helped me a lot. Now, when you look back on it, Peter as a person was very generous, but as a practitioner of scaffolding, he was a bit ahead of his time as well. He certainly made the jobs better organised than a lot of them used to be. Look, Peter was one of the best. Peter would be on the job every time at 6.30 of a morning and he'd help you out in the best way he could. He'd always give you good guidance. He was very knowledgeable with what he did. Um, although he, I don't think he put up much scaffold, but he was very smart at what he did. But he was well organised. Very well organised, Peter. Um, and he, like I say, he always looked after the blokes that worked for him. He would always look after them. I'm talking old blokes that were there. And he'd always help them out if they needed a handout with certain things. 
he would always help him out. He was very good. The best thing with Peter was when I had children, he would always say, have off as much time as you like with your family, which I did, and he was very good for it. Brother, thank you very much. Brother. How the devil are you, Ralph? I'm very good, Mick. Lovely to catch up with you. Mick Cody this end, uh, uh, sometimes known as Minji. Listen, it was just lovely to catch up uh, with you the other day at that uh, commemorative gathering uh, for Peter Welsh. Uh, Very fitting indeed. Um, to walk in and see such a sea of, of faces of yesteryear. So many scaffies and, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, old-timers has touched slightly and uh, and it was very hard to recall all of the names, but I knew them all. <laughs> the, uh, they, didn't, was... they didn't all know you, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, bet they, I'll bet they didn't. <laughs> oh, I'm a blast from the past, mate. I I, I kicked off with the, I kicked off with the bone in '69. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was one of the uh, one of the early blokes. Um, look, uh, it was lovely to see uh, Pauline, Jennifer, and Jack, uh, uh, the family, and all the extended family members that were there to support them. You know, I think it was uh, it was a, a great effort. Um, uh, so many people, you know, to think that that the the bone had touched and influenced so many lives. Uh, when I got home and reflected, just uh, just amazing to see that many people. Uh, fant- fantastic effort, uh, Ralph. Yes, it was, it was a very good uh, turnout, and I'm yes. sure that the family appreciated it. Of course, yes. Peter didn't want to have a funeral or a commemorative service, but he. Didn't get everything he wanted, so he's ended up with a wake and uh, quite a few speeches and stories. And uh, some of the stories uh, might have been slightly exaggerated. I mean, there was a bit of talk about his punting activities and uh, the amounts of money were uh, subject to a bit of controversy. Yeah, but there again, you uh, experienced a little bit of controversy when we sat down with the bone and uh, interviewed him uh, in May last year, and you, brought, uh, and you brought up the subject of that infamous horse. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's some of those. There's a bit of sting in the tail, you know, and some of them hurt a bit. And when you start uh, mentioning. Uh, you know, six-figure amounts that might have gone astray on a short-priced favourite in the WS Cox Plate. Uh, you know, ar- around the eighties, uh, it's a bit difficult. A, a, a bit of a bit of pill to swallow, uh, Ralph. <laughs> and he <laughs> bit your head off big time. And yeah. uh, after the recording, <laughs> he gave you another serve. Yes, he did. He backed up for a second, and, and uh, you know. You keep those things to yourself, and they're not for public. <laughs> oh my God, I did get a dressing down. Yes, but uh, uh, he uh, he didn't always lose. He had a few big wins, and uh, what I was surprised to find out was that he won Tats Lotto twice. Yep, yep. I, I, I was a party to those years, and uh, and in, in, indeed, uh, one of those wins I was the. Uh, 
the beneficiary of a of a large gift. He's a very generous man, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I was betwixt and between, and just starting off a, a, a second bang, a, a new family, and uh, my God, he came to the party. But uh, he he was uh, he was a lucky bloke, um, mind you. There was a lot of a lot of effort that went into that luck. And uh, in relation to Tats Lotto, I'll just tell you a small story that uh, that every every Saturday uh, at the conclusion of the punt, after a Saturday's betting, he would go to the uh, Tats Lotto shop and take a uh, System 15, the same numbers, religiously every week, never missed. Sometimes he had to uh, go back to the bookie and, and bite uh the 1500 or so to put on the uh, system 15, but he did it every week. And that's why after a couple of years, bang, up it went 876,000 the first time and uh, a bit over uh, 1.4 the second time. So, uh, you know, he had his share of luck. Yes, it uh what came in went out, but uh, yeah. quite a few people got the benefit along the way because... Even at the uh, end of uh, the business, when he was in his 80s and he was shutting it down, even at that point he was still looking after blokes who had been with him uh, on the journey and made yep. sure that they were all uh, indeed able to yep. retire when he had to finally give it away. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that was one thing that he did have. Um, he had a long memory and... Uh, and uh, he, he was, uh, you know, even though he might have had some misgivings along the way, uh, uh, he didn't. He, he, that that was one thing that uh, that uh, in latter years, you know, we exchanged um, we exchanged conversation about about uh, the business and his life and uh, all sorts of uh, all sorts of issues. But one thing that he was quite fanatic about was that. Uh, that the union created a level playing field. All he had to do was then um, search out the best, the best scaffold hands, the best labour, and he would remain very competitive. And uh, that's what he did. Uh, and that leads me in uh, to the to the next little segment. And uh, I've just got to make mention of of some of those uh, some of those that. Uh, I broke bread with and uh, and broke ground with early days, and they started. And it's there's only uh, there's only twenty or so, but uh, these were the uh, the initial the initial backbone of the company: Carl Mueller, Nolly Haynes, Jughead, Maxi Arrowsmith, Joe Muldoon, the Dingo, uh, who is Kevin Haynes, Frank and Monty Maloney, the Bull. Uh, better known as Tony Gleeson, Nifty Nev from Warnable, Joey Bolton, the inevitable, Terry Flea, Binger Gardam, Terry Mulgrove, the Seagull, Billy Clark, Peter Arrowsmith, and I, I can't leave out uh, his first ever steward at the Mint when we threw a scaffold right around the Mint, Albie Joplin, the famous bread man. And... Uh, not forgetting uh, George Mason in the yard and Johnny Cooper on the phones. So that was the backbone of the of the of the first uh, of the first lot, 
and uh, those uh, were what created the foundation of that company. And he uh, he mentioned, and we went over those names, and he mentioned how good. And not forgetting, uh, there's a little uh, a little outcrop, the ponds. I've just forgotten. Oh, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple on the short list on, on the short list that I left off. Jimmy Powell, the black rat, and, and <laughs> sorry, Jimmy, he'd be looking down, and Trevor Francis, the nose. Yep. Uh, but, uh, and, um, and and then that rolled into uh, the Poms. We can't forget the Poms. Mickey Lloyd, Bobby Laker, Alan Coulson, Joe Tupney, Howard Motion, and, of course, uh, the evergreen, Normie Martin. Indeed. So. You, so you know he 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 employed him he employed uh, some good scaffs over the years, and that and that was what he uh, what he was known for. Behind the scenes, he had a great mate, uh, estimator and engineer Joe Whitehouse, and he was with him right through to the end. Even when they finished work, they remained very close mates. Yeah. So uh, just some thoughts on the on the. Uh, on the foundation members and uh, the old boys, and uh, I dips me lid to them all, and uh, just uh, a bit of banter, and uh, one to one to just uh, put into the memory banks. Uh, at the old boys town, there was a double-story house uh, within walking distance to the United Kingdom pub. It was broken into four apartments, and uh, up in Clifton Hill, up in Clifton Hill, taken. Uh, and uh, all the old scaffs had uh, at various times at uh, those apartments, uh, you know, John O. Johnson, uh, uh, the likes of Jack Hazeldoon, and, of course, Joe Muldoon, his mate. So uh, one Monday, uh, Joe Muldoon, in his own fashion, decides to uh, pull a sickie. And uh, lo and behold... The bone turns up unannounced, and uh, Uncle or Joe is is in the bath with the radio going, doesn't hear him entering, and of course in the bathroom, uh, on the floor of the bathroom next to the bath, is a long neck. The bone walks in, and he says, "Jesus, Uncle, it's a bit early, isn't it?" You know, he knows he's had a sickie and he's not too happy with uh, what's taken place. And Joe flies into him, sits up in the bath. He said, you idiot. Only you would think of that, he said. It's beer shampoo, you know. This is the only way to keep and condition this head of hair. And I've been doing it for years, you idiot. It's got to be treated with beer shampoo. And he had a magnificent header here. He did so. And uh, it has been said that in latter years, I, I mean, they have said that uh, that the bone did try it in latter years, but uh, with no success. He still had those thinning locks. Yeah. <laughs> well, Peter but, would have been a hasty retreat. And... Uh, <laughs> When he finally worked out he'd been conned, uh, he would have just copped it sweet. Yeah, but it wasn't for many years. He did, uh, he did, he did believe it for a while. Let me tell you, brother. 
the head of hair on display was a bit too uh, too good evidence, I suppose. That's, exactly right. I would just make this comment that it's probably a mark of the man that uh, he he liked being a boss. He was the yeah. boss. The people called him chief and all sorts of things. Not yeah. just the bone, but he uh, he had a soft spot, and even if you conned him, uh, you'd uh, get forgiven. But he didn't. Uh, yeah. He didn't uh, always appreciate. Uh, getting conned and I just remember a uh, a lunch he went to and he ended up uh, doing a uh, favour, putting a scaffold around the Star of the Sea church in Victoria Street in uh, North Melbourne, top of the hill there, uh, which uh, didn't have the money for the re- full restoration and in a fairly enjoyable lunch, uh, the bone agreed to scaffold out the, the facade and sides of the, of the church and... Uh, of course, uh, the hire went on and on and on because the job went on and on and on. And in, <laughs> and in the end, it was starting to get a bit difficult. And uh, unfortunately, Johnny Cummins, who was also at the lunch, uh, had passed away uh, just earlier. And uh, I remember him saying to me, well, what the hell am I going to do now? I can't afford to just keep subsidising the church like this. I've got to get this stuff down. Anyway, it's a mark of his position in the industry, the respect with which he was held, and the fact that people did owe him a bit. I rang around all the scaffold companies, and the big ones sent two, the smaller ones sent one, and we got stuck into it, and I reckon we had it pulled down by lunchtime. Huge scaffold, pulled down by lunchtime, all all sorted and put put in pallets and shipped off, and uh, the boys had it. Knock and finish. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be exactly the way uh, business was conducted in those days, and uh, and yeah, I re- I remember it well. And he did uh, every time uh, every time he went past that establishment, and there happened to be a funeral for one of the well-known gangsters of Melbourne. He related that story. Yeah, <laughs> but of course uh, there was a lot of uh, builders, labourers, and. Uh, building workers generally who uh, were looked after in terms of their funeral uh, rites at that church. And uh, I think it was a case of everyone got a bit out of it. So a reflection of the industry being part of the community and the community being part of the industry. So Yeah, for sure. It's, it was a, it, he got out a little bit cheaper than he possibly Feared, but anyway, good luck to him and good luck to the priest up at uh, Star of the Sea. Yeah, beauty, mate. Uh, Mick, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thanks just very a pleasure. Much. Thanks very much. As you've just heard, Peter gave many people a start in the industry as workers and for some later in their uh, scaffolding careers as commercial rivals when he helped them go out on their own. But he always looked after those who just wanted to work, earn a decent living and stay on the belt. And he employed trade unionists and made agreements with their union. He had a good relationship with union officials like Norm Wallace and John Cummins who looked after the contract scaffolding sector for the union. He signed agreements and set the pace for good wages and conditions in the industry. John Cummins described those who came into the industry 
became part of it and stayed on, who didn't just blow in and blow out again when it suited them, as creatures of the industry. Workers and bosses like Peter were, in fact, creatures of the industry and always will be. Peter suffered from Parkinson's disease for many years and even in his 80s he kept his business going till the last of his crew, like the bull, got their compo claims sorted and everyone paid off properly. He was a complex character, as you've heard. He liked being the boss, played it hard and punted big. But he didn't leave anyone behind and had some fun with everyone along the journey. Peter said of himself he was just a boneheaded labourer. But he was much more than that. He cared about the industry and the people in it, had a good life and shared it. He was truly a creature of the industry. Our sympathies and condolences to his daughters, Pauline and Jennifer, his grandkids and his extended family, nieces, nephews, who were all there on the day. And his many, many friends, good friends, from the industry and from scaffolding. He will be sadly missed, Vale Peter Welsh. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face. We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains. And break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builders' labour is a name to make a man feel